brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Rep Radio on time, on target. I'm Ian Scotto here with Jim West and Charlene DeSilva. We're going to get into everything, uh, but this show is brought to you by Airdrop. Airdrop is a new section on Crate Club where you can find essential gear and killer apparel that you can buy separately from our monthly and quarterly club subscriptions. There's some great stuff on there that's heavily discounted, but a lot of these items sell out quick, so you really got to act now. For example, we've got a few more Crate Club custom NFW watches left. I think, at least when I last checked. Uh, the Cry Precision Ballistic Soft Armor inserts and Crate Club Fishing Spears. But, uh, like, for example, that tactical pen we had, that's gone. Those those are all sold out. So, yeah, act now. Uh, it's up on its own section of CrateClub.us, or you can go to store.CrateClub.us to check it all out. That's store.CrateClub.us. Tons of gear you're going to love on airdrop. And you could probably hear the ambient noise outside because it's... Uh, it was like too hot in here, so I had to open a window. So it sounds very, very unprofessional. Um, Jim West in studio, and it's so funny. The last time that Jack and I were on, we talked about the new book, Messages from Beyond. And we and I was basically saying, like, is this book ever going to come out? Because Jim has talked at this point about three books coming out, and it's actually out. Also in studio with us is Charlene De Silva, the co-author who I've, I'm meeting for the first time. I've talked to Jim countless times, so nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you, too. So I think the first thing to get into is, like, how did you two hook up? When you told me that you were working with a co-author, I assumed it was someone older writing from the experience of you who just turned 65, and I, I didn't expect your co-author to be a 25-year-old young female author. Yeah, that that's uh, kind of weird because... Initially, you know, we were work- I was working on an autobiography, so this book is not my autobiography. It is going to be coming out within a year. Um, and I was working with Jack for a long time. Jack's a great writer, as we know. And the deal is we got to a certain point within the book, and he said, Jim, this is like the hardest thing I've ever had to do, and it's to write as if I'm another person, like I'm you. So... Um, he turned over the manuscript and everything that we'd been working on for actually a couple of years. And uh, so I started working on it, and I don't know how many copies you've seen, but uh, I've been through quite a few, uh, you know, just updating all the time. And then I met with a guy here in the city uh, who's a business agent, and he says he looked at my business plan, which was failing in many areas, and he says, so of the many things I would like to do, let's get your autobiography out, but let's make it the last book you write. I said, what's that mean? He said, put another book out. Put two or three books out. Put one out a quarter, one a month. He said, build momentum with these books before we put your autobiography out. I said, okay, I'll do that. So I started writing what I'm I'm best at, and that's fighting. And 
also, I had a lot of street fights, hundreds and hundreds of street fights. And I'm a 10th degree black belt in martial arts. Uh, I've trained competitors for the UFC. You know, I trained Dale and many others. Uh, I've trained Navy SEALs, uh, CIA agency guys, now, you know, formal competitors seen on pay-per-view and all that good stuff. So it's just what I do best. I've been fighting my whole life. So I started, I figured, well, the best thing I could do for this second book, which will come out, is I would tell a fight story. There are 23 technical fight principles that were written by Joe Lewis, Bruce Lee, and all that crowd. And I did a lot of training with Joe Lewis through the years. So I adopted these, and I said, well, it's going to be very difficult for the average reader to really grasp and learn what 23 technical fight principles are. So we had to break that down in a different way. And, And so I started writing this book, and... I'd write a story about a you know knockdown, drag out, barroom brawl, some of which we've told right here on sure. your show. And uh, then it, as I got closer to the what I thought might be the end, I go, man, I just can't get this book out there. Like you know, once again, here we are. I can't kick it over the finish line. And uh, the main reason was because I thought of myself as sort of a sage that anyone anyone could learn from, not just professional fighters or basic karate students, but people on the street that don't have time to hit the gym, but are concerned about getting mugged, jumped, you know, just basic street survival. So I said, who wants to learn from a sage that's got a book full of bar, you know, drunken barroom brawls? You know, so what am I, how am I going to learn from a drunk? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Although this audience knows your background, you know, I like, I feel like this audience is going to pick up anything you put out, which, you know, and the current book, which I should say is Messages from Beyond, which... They're going to pick up. So this is the neat thing, because Charlene wanted to expand my background, uh, you know, the audience. And and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how that works. So I thought about, i got to come up with something else. And uh, about, what, a month and a half, two months ago, I'm driving down the road. Uh, going On Sundays, I go to the Sands down in Bethlehem. And it's when that Arctic blast was coming through. And it was like two degrees outside. And all the trees are barren. It's misty, rainy. And I seen this hawk sitting on top of a tree, like he's pulling guard duty. And for the next seven or eight miles, the sky is full of like crows just being whipped around. And at the very same time, I'm talking to one of my uh, former Special Forces brothers named Paul Williams, who I've known for 42 years. He's a Louisiana Cajun uh, Creole kind of guy that has a neat accent. It was Sunday morning, and so all these images were coming to me at one time. I'm talking to Paul. I said, I didn't wake you up, did I, Paul? And he goes, no, nah, man, he's got that accent. You know, he goes, I'm getting ready to go to church. I said, really? I said, I didn't know, I've known you for all these years. I never knew that you went to church. And Paul goes, no, nah, man, he says, uh, you know, I hadn't lived a perfect life. He said, and, you know, God's coming. He said, but, Jim, the devil's coming too. <laughs> he says, so I like, to, I like to be prepared, you know, and, uh, and I'm, you know, visually taking in all this other stuff with the birds and stuff, which... I just had this epiphany at that, and I'd already hired, and I'll tell you why I picked Charlene, but uh, I called Charlene, I said, I had this epiphany, I explained the same story to her, what do you think? She says, that would be awesome, right? Yeah. And so I put down, the, you know, 20 or 30 pages Monday morning, sent it to her, and I got to tell you, Charlene is, uh, if you need a writer, she's a good one, I'll tell you why. You know, Jack Murphy and I click on every single level, you know, technically, tactically as friends. But to write as if, you know, in first person, like you're actually that person, 
You really got to get into their head in a different way, right? But uh, which, as I said, though, is so funny though because Jack's life is quite a lot more similar to yours than Charlene's. You would, you both were in the army. You both were special operations. He, you're quite older, but but he has that experience. So I mean, it's just it's obviously a very unique skill that not everybody's going to have. But I actually want to hear from Charlie. How did you guys actually meet before the, the concept of the book? Um, he, he contacted me um, on the Internet. He found me, and uh, we started talking through email. It just happened that we were both in the city, so it was even better because we're able to meet face-to-face, and we just basically hit it off from there, you know? Um, yeah. We started meeting, like, every week, like tw- like twice a week twice or three times a week and yeah we just um um you know jim told me his ideas and i've never worked with anybody who has his background i never worked with anybody who was in the military um people i usually work with is far far different than (laughs) than jim and for me um it's very exciting um just to hear about these things because i never heard such stories that Jim has told me so I'm like yeah you know I just want to learn more um it's really really great and I absolutely love working with Jim he's such a great guy and he's such a unique character from yeah, the moment you uh, absolutely. Him, I feel like yeah you'll never find anybody <laughs> like Jim West never and like this is like the one and only so there only be one Jim West and that's <laughs> that's him basically I I, I couldn't agree more yeah. so so then where did the messages from beyond what you're getting into, the messages from right. beyond concepts come from, uh, you know, that conversation? How did it flush out? Yeah, so, so what happened was, like you said, I, I went online from my, my perspective. I, was, I decided I, I want to get these books written. It was the fight book originally. And maybe if that went well, we could work on the autobiography together. And so I, I, she's one of the more expensive online but she, you know, and I didn't know she was New York based until we communicated a few times, which, you know, we, we started meeting. And uh, th- when I was talking about these technical fight principles, they're, they're, they, you know, it's about how to develop speed, timing, rhythm, all kinds of what most people consider fight conversation that you could learn from. And so I'd sent her all these documents, and I'm driving back from the sands down in Pennsylvania. Now I'm talking to her on the phone. I said, so we're getting ready to hang up. Any more questions? Because we're also interviewing on the phone quite a bit. And uh, she says, yeah, these technical fight principles, could you tell me about uh, uh, breath control? And I'm like, holy shit. Excuse my language. Is that you okay? say whatever you okay. want to hear. I was like, holy shit. I said, of all the things, that's the one thing that you want to ask me? I said, that's the most, probably the most complicated, complex part of all of the fight principles. And... Uh, and my inner being was telling me some part of Charlene has experienced moments in her life where she's lost her breath and maybe some panic may have set in. And being that she's a 25-year-old female, and one thing that we haven't talked about, she also has a second-degree black belt in Taekwondo. That's so awesome. she does yeah. she does understand some fight fighting training and stuff. So... The, the commonality started coming together. And uh, the fact that, a, you know, a younger female, even an older female for that matter, could could go straight to that breath control tells me they have experience, which even to this day, I she hasn't co- 
confided in me, but I know that there's some part of her that has, you know, been been confronted with a situation like that, and it's very personal and passionate to her, and that that was the common common bond that I the the glue that I said I need to talk more, I need to share more, and and so and trust me, we go through. I write something, she makes it better. I say, no, that's not the way I talk. She makes it better. And, I mean, it's not like I just sent her a manuscript. She puts as much time into it as I do, mm-hmm. uh, honestly. And, and, and really, I think, tries to put yourself into my shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, that whole breath control thing. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you why, though. It's because, uh, I mean, it's not, besides a personal experience, uh, which I had outside of sparring, like within, I was just thinking about in terms when I used to spar in tournaments and stuff like that. And when we have like point sparring and all that, I would just lose my breath so quickly and I would just get so worn and, you know, just like exhausted because I'm facing against other people who are also in their prime and they're like kicking my ass. So by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool because breath control, I mean, whether you're in the streets, here in the studio, you know, like. Oh God! I've got New York noise in the background. You, know, you have that moment of hesitation, and you—you you know me pretty well, uh, Ian. And one of the things I preach in life is just zero hesitation. And so we had a lengthy conversation about how to even train yourself not only to exhaustion but through exhaustion. So we got into a lot of that stuff. But but anyway, like I said, the messages from beyond this new book. Uh, when I had this epiphany, I, I thought about how can I. How can I set the stage so that when the people buy my next books, I mean, half of my adult life before up until the point that my oldest son was murdered uh, 16 years ago, I, I just hurt a lot of people. I, I was a different person. I didn't care much about people's feelings, physically or mentally. I just enjoyed almost hurting people. I, I mean, you know, Charlene's seen, seen my entire background and she's interviewed quite a few people also and she'll tell you i've had a pretty tragic upbringing right yeah absolutely so and and so even in the next book i can tell you what the name's going to be already as long as it's it's not copyrighted somewhere else it's uh it's called the turning point so i we had to pick a point in my life that instead of hurting people i could start helping people and that's kind of what the second book is driving towards but but so just to get back to this book in particular the the focal point is like near death experience and that's where the book starts out it's not near death it's death <laughs> so, i mean yeah if, if if you want to put it that way sure right. he, yeah um he actually was pronounced dead um he um jim was involved in the car crash and he basically, by the time he got there, he was, like, pronounced dead, like, legally dead. So, I mean, you'll see in the book. And, uh, yeah, it's quite, he just manages, manages to come back alive and just, just wake up. And, I mean, once you, once you read the book, you'll see what happens. But, yeah, it's really quite amazing what happens between from the time that he dies to the moment that he wakes up. You know, so, uh, yeah. And, and this is something you never really talked about. What, what made you decide that this is how you wanted to start the first book in a series of books, it seems? Well, and I may even ask Charlene to, uh, 
step in here anytime. You know, in order to get that second book out, which would lead to the autobiography, which is a, another complex story. I've, I and I I thought about a turning point of when my son died, and then I said, the more I thought about it, I started realizing that there's a common thread. This is why I say messages, and and the 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 thought is. There, as human beings, we receive messages all the time, maybe in dreams or nightmares or sure. visions. You don't have to die necessarily. But that took me to a place, and, it, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't see bright lights until many years later in an actual dream. And it dawned on me as we were discussing all this stuff that there's a thread that I've been aware of. of the, it's like early warnings that have been out there in my life, my whole life, that I've chosen to ignore. So even driving towards some of the fights and the rest of my life, the messages from beyond, yeah, it tells a story about what I experienced when I was pronounced dead, but it also has a thread that, that ties everything together before actually during that time and even in my thoughts today. So I just thought it would be a great way to introduce myself to the world before you read the bad and the good and the, you know, all the other stuff because uh, there's a lot of things that motivate me that otherwise would, would, would not make sense to read some of the stuff that's going to come out in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, we discussed about this. Um, you know, a lot of people who know Jim or heard about Jim, they, they want to hear all the, I wouldn't necessarily call it bad stuff but him like you know being a badass sure. and you know all the fights that he's been in and all um all the operations he participated in i think a lot it, a lot of people will be surprised or probably even shocked by this first book because it shows a totally different side of jim you know you know that dreams and nightmares aspect the messages that they hold and the ptsd aspect which uh a lot of vets deal with it's it's a common thread so we touch upon that as well so yeah i mean i it's it's incredibly interesting because it just definitely shows a whole different side of jim yeah i'm glad you brought that up because it does drive to you know a, a big part of my one of the things i think about on a day-to-day basis is that there's not just military but there's like 20 22 guys a day you know ptsd combat veterans that commit suicide because they don't have anything to reach into to go, it's okay to make mistakes. Well, you know, with these turning points in my life, and when I started flashing back to, I mean, I almost put this death experience away for a long time as if it didn't really happen. And as as I got older, and I'm, I'm blessed to be at 65, to be really honest, and I have an opportunity to share my story so that we can actually help guys to have PTSD. And it's just not that, but you know, rape victims, assault victims, you know, car crash, people that have PTSD, you know, if you don't do certain stuff and don't know where to reach, you'll crawl into this cave somewhere where you got to have spend alone time. And frankly, that's when bad things happen. And I found a way to occupy that alone time with 
uh, messages and thoughts that uh, aren't all negative. Yeah, I know that was a dark time because, you know, when, when Leo Jenkins and those guys came to New York and read their poetry, you did. I, I, as I said, I don't know if you want to shake my hand. I have a little bit of a cold going on. Here's Jim goes to shake my hand. I don't yeah, want to I forgot get about the Leo um, Jenkins. But, yeah. but yeah, you you wrote a, a very dark poem about that time of being in your cave and, and you know, not communicating with the outside world. That's uh, perfect. Yeah, because that, that, I, I kept writing that. I said one day, I was, you know, I like writing because ever since I met Jack, and, and I would encourage anybody to write, not just for any other reason, but I'll share a story. Uh, yeah, I went to, can I share my PTSD story? Of course. You can share whatever kinda, you wanted to hear. I mean. I, well, I'll tell you what it is. I, I was in constant denial all my time, all, my whole life. You know, I don't have PTSD, just like everyone else. And, uh, y- you know, when my son got killed, I couldn't tell you that that turning point happened the day after. It might have taken, what, five to eight years as my world started coming to a grind. I mean, immediately after his passing away, I just wanted to get drunk. And I was angry, and I didn't want to be seen, didn't want to talk about it. I got in a few fights. I mean, I was heading down a really dark path. Now, I thought maybe if I write a, write a poem or music, anything, you know. Now, I didn't put the, any, any true value on what writing can do for certain people. And, but I tried, and I put it away, and I got all these thousands of documents that uh, I think Charlene's in possession of now that, uh, you know, I just... It's, it's not. It's not grouped together in any specific fashion. That's another another thing that she's really great at is making sense of it all. Uh, after all kinds of interviews together and meetings, but uh, so what happened is uh, this grind finally got to me with the economy failing, trying to stay at work. I got screwed over in business life uh, twenty years ago by some guy out of uh, Richmond, Virginia that. You know, embezzled a lot of my money. Put I feel like the, you're about to say his name. Yeah, I was. His first name. <laughs> when, is, where he lives. His first name is David. I'll leave it at that. And uh, some people will know who he is. He's a Jim, but uh, not that, not not a not a Jim. But uh, so anyway, with this, you know, I was I was kind of in my pits, and it's also mentioned in the book. We talk about my son's death and things that we shared ahead of time, before he died. This is why these messages kind of all string together. They've been there the whole time. But uh, as, uh, as, as, as I was getting into this stuff, I, I got up to New York, and I didn't realize that being a Southerner in New York in the middle of the winter with a bunch of hardcore construction workers, that the culture is totally different. I was on my feet all day. All the combat wounds, all the rucksack marches, all the stuff that aches your body, you know, it gets amplified in New York when you're standing around. All It's cold. Your joints hurt if you're healthy. Yeah. Right? And uh, I was like, holy crap, I'm dying. I'm getting old. You know, this is just, I'm much tougher than this. I'm still battling with myself. And I kept flashing back to when my son got killed. And eventually my whole world came to a screeching halt, at which point in time I personally felt like my son was killed because it was karma, that God was punishing me for everything I've done bad in my life. And then I started feeling shame, guilty about things I should be proud of, you know. And I'm really fortunate to have gotten through that that pride you know where i could start feeling prideful of the things i did accomplish through my life which by the way is we talked about my son early when i said think about the things that you did do sure you know forget about the bad stuff it's not to forget about it with your other son it was something we were talking about yes Uh, yeah i have another another son that occasionally needs daddy's advice right so but 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 as it goes forward I, i i 
I was talking to my friends, and they said, ah, Jim, you need to go to the VA. You need to check in. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck this. I was feeling kind of violent. Anyway, I showed up at the VA here in the Bronx and uh, went to the PTSD clinic. Never been there. Embarrassed. This isn't who I am. You know, and why are you here? I said, well, I don't know. And uh, this is a true statement. I said, I, I'm functionally fucked up. I said, what, what do you mean you're functionally fucked up? I said, well, I get up every day. I go to work every day. I'm really good at what I do. I, then I go home at night, and then I go to sleep. And then all that shit comes back to me, those dreams, those nightmares of people being killed, of killing people, whatever it is. I mean, it just comes back of my son's death, of just so many thoughts that just flood your brain. And, and trust me, I could see where if a person had no outlet or nothing else to draw from, he could think about you know taking his own life or hurting someone else. And, you know, we want to get away from that, right? So uh, then they asked me, well, do you feel like hurting anybody now? I said, no, no one's pissed me off lately. You know, do you feel like hurting yourself? And I refrained from telling them that at one point I did in my life, and it's going to be in one of my other books. Uh, but that was just a 10-second fleeting moment that never entered my mind before or after. It was just, you know, sometimes that, that flash gets you, you know. But uh, so I was going through the the normal you know, rigors of you know, going to therapists, going to social workers to see if I was lying or whatever. And the number one question they kept asking me, is your PTSD because your son died, the way you brought up, or because of combat? And I said, I think it's all of them. Yeah. And it's all tied together here, actually. But um, so finally I went to see this uh, doctor, an uh, actual psychiatrist, and uh, I thought he was Arab. I'm looking out at the TV monitor right outside of his office. And I'm th he's asking, tell me about the first time you ever killed anybody. And, you know, of course, I was in the desert, too. And uh, if you go on, on the Internet and look up the highway of death and uh, after the Desert Storm War, you'll see one of the places I had the luxury of spending time with tens of thousands of dead people. Uh, but... You know, so I was, I was, I was saying, I don't want to talk to this guy. Who the fuck are you? I'm getting out of here. And so I just left. And I called one of my friends, actually Gary O'Neill. I said, Gary, I can't, I can't, I can't do this, man. I'm never going to get benefits. I'm never going to get care. Screw this. I'm not doing it. He goes, That's perfect, Jim. I said, What do you mean that's perfect? <laughs> he says, You did exactly what guys with PTSD would be doing. I said, Really? What should I do now? He says, Go back. I said, Should I get another doctor? He says, Nope. Go back to the very same doctor. I'm like, Fuck. So I did. Yeah. And it, it took a little while. I went back, and I thought I would shift gears so I wouldn't talk about anything that happened in the desert. I'd talk about some covert operations and I did down in Central America where people were killed. And uh, specifically, uh, one of the local command general's sons got killed not two feet to my left, had half his head and neck blown out and splashed on me. And, you know, the the, the details of the story will come out later, but... So I figured I would tell him this story. And then I went, you know, I finished up there. They sent me back to the you know, follow-up treatment, uh, you know, interviews with the social workers and therapists. And I said, they said, well, and they had access to all the notes. And I, so I said, look, I didn't want to talk about whatever, whatever happened in Desert Storm. So I figured I'd throw something from Central and South America down there, and they said, which happened to be in a country of Colombia. And they said, well, this doctor just happens to be from Colombia, and he was very familiar with your story. And I'm like, wow. So I didn't realize I was being believed, you know, and, and I thought that was very cool that, you know, that I got through that by accident of telling a story that, I, you know, you don't have to bullshit about. It's real, you know, and, I, and you know me, 
Ian, I like to keep it real. Yeah. No. I, I mean, you, you've done a remarkable job of, like, dealing with all these demons, I really feel, because when you talk about the way that you were at that time, and I, I, I'm guessing you can kind of vouch for this too, Charlene. Like, I feel like I don't know the Jim West, who is a super violent, angry guy. Like, the guy I see always has a smile on his face. Yeah. And, and is, like, one of the nicest people I know. And I have a feeling if I met Jim West from, like, the early 90s, I, I wouldn't <laughs> feel the same way. Yeah, pro- absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, we go... We shed some details in the book about that, too. It's like how Jim West was before and how Jim West was now. I mean, it's just that sort of... All the whole PTSD aspect. Um, yeah, it's definitely... Um, shaped him and shapes many people you know yeah I, I feel like this book will be a testament to some guys that that you can fix this especially guys in your age range because so many of the men writing books are in their 20s 30s 40s they're not 65 well two things Ian and I'm sure you know because you know all the large body of people writing books and a lot of the vets they're either trying to kill themselves kill somebody or they're drunk or on drugs, you know, there, there are very few of them that just walk away clean and, and, and are able to just deal with it. And I found that writing itself, uh, when I went to uh, cognitive processing therapy, it's uh, 12 weeks, 90 minutes a week. You have to they, well write about, you know, any traumatic event in your life. And I go, OK, so I'm like, what the hell is this? And I write a little tra- thing and I go back. That doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't have to be about combat, anybody you've killed. It doesn't have to be about your son. It could be step on a nail on your kid. It could be anything. It doesn't matter. But like pulling the thread on a sweater, Jim, over time, it will all come become unraveled, you know. And about my sixth session, I actually had the nerve and the courage to write about my son. And you have to read these out loud, you know. And I'm like, and I broke down right on the spot in the VA. I'm like, oh. you know, this is awful. But because yeah. I, I wasn't really writing about my son, I, was, I found that I was being very selfish and writing about myself. And, you know, what what my ideas, what my thoughts ought to be. And there's no real consideration or compassion for my son. But anyway, as I get through this, one of the things I know about writing, whether you ever get published or not, it's not even an issue. But when you write your thoughts down, you can write without being judged. Nobody's piping in going, what about this? You should sure. be this way. You should think like that. These are your thoughts, man, and yours alone. And you can write them any way you want to write them. You know, and fortunately, I've... I got Jack Murphy in the beginning, and then Charlene can actually kind of step into my shoes, which is odd. But, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's just all coming to a, to a good place now. Since, since you mentioned that, like, as a writer, when do you realize you have the skill to write from someone else's perspective? I was telling Jim before we recorded, I've become friends with uh, Anthony Boza, who wrote for Rolling Stone. Right. And he also co-wrote, or you could even say ghost-wrote. His name is on these books, but... Slash's book, Tommy Lee's book, Derek Jeter. And a lot of these guys, I think it's safe to say, are not sitting by a computer writing out a full book. And it's their voice, but it's really Anthony Bose's book. And I think that's a special skill because, as as Jack said, as uh, Jim said, Jack, for example, is an excellent writer, but struggled with writing from someone else's perspective. It's not something everyone could do. Right. I, I think it's like if you have too many, some, like if you're similar in many ways, um, like for me, um, of course, I, I'm not Jim West. Um, my experiences as a 25-year-old is different than his. So um, it's just like for 
um, co-writers, or if you want to call it ghostwriters, it's just you have to have sort of a natural curiosity about it, you know, and disregard your your own personal beliefs and just, you know, just let it go with the flow, you know. It's, I mean, yeah, I, I, I ghostwritten and co-written for other people, and um, I know, I, I can't really say... I think it's more of a curiosity aspect, you know? Yeah, and it's just that Jim speaks so candidly that there's a certain... there's And, and when Jim speaks on the show, you know Jim's voice. And when people read this book... Yeah. And these are 100% Jim's stories. And Jim wrote a lot of it, but needed your help in, in getting this whole thing finalized. As we were talking before, timeline and all these things are very hard to piece together. Oh, yeah. But I've, just finding the right person who could who could help write this and make it sound as if this is Jim. You know, it's, it's, I, I couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, no, absolutely. I know. I, I think there's a lot of people who can't really do it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's Jim, Jim is so real that, and he's so candid about these things. It actually makes it <laughs> easy to write, you know? Um, and, um, I really do appreciate that because it makes, um, you know, our partnership just like so easy and so natural, um, even though we're from totally two different worlds, you know, um, you know, my family is not from the United States. Um, and, uh, and you were saying you're from Brazil, right? Yeah. Or, or yes. your family's from Brazil? Or yes. You, no, my family is. You're originally from here? Yeah. I was born in Massachusetts. Gotcha. So like, like a little close to the Boston area. So, uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, like I was saying, it's just like, I totally understand why people would say, oh, like, how could you possibly write for another person? You know, um, a 65-year-old man um, who was uh, who was in the Special Forces, who accomplished all these things. And it's just like, you know, I think what it is is I'm always excited to hear Jim's stories, really. It's like, I want to learn more, you yeah. know? And I think a big aspect of it is that Jim is so open to talking about the darkest moments of his life. Yeah, so you don't absolutely. have that same process of someone who wants to sugarcoat everything. Uh, yeah. we, we were talking about Jack's book before we started recording, for example, and, and I don't want to spoil Jack's book for people, but he talks about some very dark moments that he has never discussed on this podcast before that I've never discussed with him in person uh, that I didn't know about. I heard rumors about some of it, but the book confirmed certain things. And I think for a lot of people, they want to hide that away. And for you, you've become an open book. So it probably makes it easier for Charlene and, and even for yourself to just get a book out there and say, this is me. I'm not going to hide anything. Well, you know, just like the moment that I, you know, about this breath control, I go, this is the person that's going to write my book. Because who else would ask that question? It just, you know, you have to have something else going on. I don't know what it is. With Jack... Yeah, I met him through a third party that's uh, an avid fan of soft rep. Probably knows more about me and Jack than we know about ourselves. You know, and uh, you need to meet this guy, Jack Murphy. Man, you need to meet him. He says, okay. So a week later, we met at the Village Den. And, uh, he's, you know, the first thing was he's telling me about him. I was telling him about me. And, you know, Jack's a little skeptical. And I, I, get, I get that. And... Uh, he says, he's been trying to get in touch with a guy named Gary O'Neill. I said, well, I got his number right here. He goes, what, you got his number? And he called, I called him up right on the spot. So it gave me a little credibility right then and there because he had a huge interest in the, that Cold War era, you know, because nobody talks. 
And then, uh, so I said, he wants to help me write an autobiography. I said, well, that's great. So a week later, I said, before we start, I'll bring in all my certificates and awards and just threw them on the table for him. And uh, he just rifled through it at the speed of light, and he stopped on the desert storm. He goes, you were in seventh group. I said, that's great. He goes, seventh group wasn't represented in desert storm. I said, yeah, they were. I was. <laughs> I represented them. And uh, just the simple fact that at the speed of light, he picked out that one piece of paper, that one moment, it, you know, you you can relate because of our conversation. I go, this is the guy, you know, and 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 when I read just the beginning of Jack's book, right in the opening scene, it showed me a part of Jack that I knew is always there that we discuss a lot. But and, and you're in just about the beginning of the book. You're one of the first scenes in the book. So that so that was pretty cool, right? Right when we started talking about writing my book and this and that, and we got to the section on PTSD. At the time, Jack hadn't even considered going, you know, to the VA or anywhere else for treatment. And as we're talking, you you know, a combat vet can look in another combat vet's eyes, and you just know if he was a cook or if he was in a close close quarters combat killing people or someone trying to kill you. It's just you, you know, you just you either are or you're not. And I think that of the group of us who've all been there, we just know, even if it's a stranger sitting at the bar. But anyway, we were sitting at Chipotle's, and I'm going, Jack, and I said, you're as fucked up as I am. He goes, what? <laughs> I, said, I said, you got PTSD. You just don't even know it, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, that... And, 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 and that's he, where the book begins for the, you know, pick it up. I, I, I'm saying for those who don't know, but the book isn't even out yet. We're lucky enough to get the advanced copies, but get the book. But what what comes right after that, the, the depth and drive of Jack Murphy exposes itself to me immediately in the book. It just sucks you right in like like a, a, a current, you know, of water just pulls you under. It, it just starts out that way and uh, it, it just gets better. Yeah, yeah. Well, so back to your book, which once again is Messages from from Beyond. It's up on Amazon right now, paperback, Kindle. What do you want people to get out of this book? I know you have a series of books, as you've explained, but this book in particular, what are you hoping that people get out of this? Wow, that's, that's a tough question. I mean, for me, the reason I wrote this book has got duality. One is to put my story out just for self-healing, you know, being able to talk about it. So... So that people, when they, you know, everyone feels like they're being judged. If you have PTSD, I mean, we all have a common bond. Somebody's looking over our back. We feel guilty. We feel ashamed. Everyone in the world is judging us. And, you know, it was a step for me to say, hey, it's okay to judge me. But, you know, before you do, walk a mile in my shoes. And then as I started writing this and uh, the more I talked to Charlene, the more we got into it and just exchanging uh, thoughts uh, about uh, messages from beyond, I started finding ways to thread this exposure to my life from messages, dreams, flashbacks, nightmares, to where they kind of actually are all interrelated. And then I started thinking of the bigger picture of guys with PTSD and victims of you know assaults and stuff. Uh, and I started thinking, you know, this everybody has these thoughts and curiosities. It's, I may mention God in the book here and there, but it, it really, it's your God and, and it's a belief, self-belief in yourself, you know? So it's one thing to believe, you know, to believe in, uh, in, in 
you know, supreme being, heaven and hell and all that. And I'll tell you straight up front, it's in the book. When I died, I didn't see bright lights. So I, I didn't see that heavenly outcome immediately. So, and, and I know we all have our own experiences. And to each person, I think the message is, whatever your experience, whatever your religion, whatever your upbringing, whatever your age, you know, listen, when you're going down the street and you lost a good friend or a kid or a mom or a dad or a brother or sister, you hear music that used to be their favorite song, you start crying mm-hmm. or thinking thoughts, you look in the skies, you see formations. And, you know, some people like me, I can see superimposed images all the time, which is a whole nother deal. But I know guys with traumatic brain injury, they, they do this as well. Uh, it, it's the thought that comes immediately after that, you know, and, and the message that that's out there. We don't look for messages. We just write things off as, oh, it was a nightmare. It was a dream. I don't know what the fuck that was, you know, and kind of discard it. But I think if you had a really weird-ass dream in the middle of the night and you just woke up and you had no relationship to that dream, just write it down. There's a message there. I mean, you can go after, you know, dream interpreters and all that. I think... I do I do that sometimes, too. Do you ever Google, like, what does this dream mean? And then I'm just... Oh, you know, yes, I yeah. have. I have, too. But now I'm, I'm really looking into it ever since uh, I've been discussing it with Jim. Like, before, like Jim was saying, uh, just, like, just totally, di- like, discard it, disregard it. And, yeah, but now I'm really taking it into consideration. It's like, what does this dream mean? But sometimes I have really strange dreams that, you know... Yeah, I, I I'm in I'm in the same boat. So, so yeah, we kind of explain it, that it in is a short important. section too. Yeah, it does seem important to write that that yeah. down and and maybe connect it all together. Well, so I'm 65 and I've been having some of these thoughts since I was a kid. Yeah, you know, I mean, I started having dreams in uh, the early 80s when I was deployed and worn out down in Central and South America and just dropped dead tired and I passed out one night and I started dreaming about a a field of dead bodies and then. When you go to the highway of death where I was, it had me a chance to look back at that dream and started trying to put things together in my head. So there are a lot of interconnected activities and dreams and thoughts that you may have had when you were a kid Sure. that, that repeat itself now. That, trust me, it's not all bad. It's not all doom and gloom. It, it, it's either, to me, a positive message or an early warning. And any early warning to me is a positive message. You know? Sure. So... That makes sense. Uh, and, you know, we got an email recently from a listener who said that the show talks. No, it's good. I mean, that the show talks about all different types of things, war stories. And we, we do talk about PTSD. But he was like, sometimes I wish you guys would get more into spirituality. And this seems like a book for that person who wants to learn about the the uh, aspect of what you guys have done that could tie into spirituality and afterlife and belief in God and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there there is um, that spiritual aspect in it. So those who are interested, who want to learn more about that spiritual aspect, totally check out this book. Um, I mean, it's not only the spiritual aspect. I think that's important for many people, but it's also... Uh, the belief in yourself, like the physical and mental aspect of it. So this book encompasses all these things. Yeah. I'm excited for people to pick it up. Yeah. I mean, and I was was very cautious. Uh, I mean, my initial thought was, I'll call it messages from God, but, you know, everybody doesn't believe in the same God that I do. Sure. You know, Uh, we don't all worship the same way. Some people are agnostic or atheists, you know. This book, 
doesn't address it in those terms at all. Uh, it just lets you know that whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling is real and that you can draw from those feelings and, and, and in a way that can you know, maybe save your life or drive you or inspire you to a different career, turn left instead of turning right and avoid a, a, you know, a, a flood or a night you know, or a mugging somewhere. It's just that all these things are swimming around in our head all the time. Now, the second we stop being busy, it just re-enters at different times, different levels, different thoughts. And, I mean, our self-talk is insane, each and every person. Yeah. But I think that messages from beyond in my story, because fortunately I've lived so long, I've had a chance while writing this book to take a look back and say, how is all of this stuff interconnected? And I think we did a reasonable we made a reasonable effort at, at, at explaining the connectivity of, you know, life and, and dreams and nightmares and even death. You know, I can tell you candidly, the act of dying is not a scary thing. Hmm. In fact, it's the most pleasant thing you'll ever do. Not to encourage you to die because to me it's like a waiting room, like purgatory. Hmm. There is something beyond that. And uh, it should all be considered. I want to wrap up with a few things, but before we do, uh, as always, I like to let you know what we have going on here at Hurricane Media uh, and Hurricane Group. Be sure to check out Crate Club. It's a club for men, by men, of gear handpicked by special operations veterans. We have the Dash One Crate, the Pro Crate, and for those looking for the Holy Grail of gear subscriptions, our Premium Crate. These are all available at CrateClub.us, and right now we are running an extremely limited promotion of 20% off all sop- for all Sopper Radio listeners. This is the biggest discount we've ever made available, and we don't know how long we can keep this promotion live, so get on it right now. That's CrateClub.us, coupon code SOPREP for 20% off any gearbox. Sign up today. Also, as a reminder for those listening, now is the time to sign up for the Spec Ops channel. That's our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. The Spec Ops channel premiere show Training Cell follows former special operations forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country, everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to the Spec Ops channel. That's at specopschannel.com. And take advantage of a membership for only $4.99 a month. That's specopschannel.com. Sign up today. Last, if you're not already subscribed, uh, sign up to the newsrep.com. You've got to get on board. Expert reporting and actionable intelligence from your favorite writers you've heard on here, Jack Murphy, Alex Hollings, and the many guest writers who pop up as well. And I should mention, Jack is in Italy. I didn't even mention that. Yeah. He's, he's away for this week, so that's why this week you've got shows in the... He will be back, of course, for the launch of his book. Uh, but unlimited access to NewsRep on any device, unlimited access to the app, join the War Room community, invitations to our exclusive events, and it's all ad-free for members. We have a trial up right now where you can get four weeks for only one ninety nine. Sign up at thenewsrep.com. That's thenewsrep.com. And by the way, for those not in the know, we have our own SoftRep Radio app that you can download for free on iPhone or Android. And our homepage is at softrepradio.com, where you can see our full archive of shows. As always, keep up with us at SoftRep Radio as well. By the way, it's I'm glad Jim is like able to speak a lot this episode, because I, I feel like my, uh, my voice is not totally there right now. 
uh, getting over this cold. But I'm feeling a lot better than I was these past few days getting some rest. So. I've always told Ian he's got the the best b- voice in the business. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. No, I appreciate uh, it. But but uh, I think Jack's going to be on Fox and Friends on April 22nd. In the I, I have heard that. The yeah. book comes out in a week. So yeah, right. he's doing Fox and Friends. He's going to be doing the whole media circuit. circuit. I'm sure doing Wilkow's show. You got to do Wilkow's show. Yeah, this Give me a buzz. We're, I'll hit up Mike right right after the show and, and get you over there. Yeah, and uh, also his uh, audience loves you, so and I love them. Yeah, <laughs> they're great. You know, I mean, my best my best thing I do all year is uh, our veterans uh, thing at Eminem yes. Vintage. You know, because Andrew's there. It's just the best time, best people. So I wanted to cover this article that was actually sent to me by a listener um, to our Facebook page. I don't know if you guys are familiar at all with Kratom, which people are saying helps PTSD. Uh, it's sold like at just gas stations. It's almost like CBD oil. Uh, but it's And it's not just something that, that helps PTSD from what they're saying, you know, any type of pain. A lot of people getting off heroin and opioids in general are using Kratom. So we had this uh, veteran, Air Force veteran, Peter Gidrion, who spoke really highly of it. And I saw this documentary, which is how I booked Peter, called The Leaf of Faith, about kind of the scare of the media over Kratom. And someone sent this to me, and they were like, oh, I want to hear your feelings on it. And to me, it draws more into... And I've never tried Kratom, so I'm not an advocate one way or the other. I mean, I try to... If, if, if it's helping people through, P, P, uh, through PTSD, or it's helping people get off heroin, I'm all for it. I mean, uh, but... but to me, this article ties into the whole fake news media thing because <laughs> you look at the title and then you read the article and it's two completely different things. So the article says, this is from NBC News, this is the, this is the headline, Her herbal supplement kratom is tied to more U.S. deaths. And it says U.S. health officials say overdose deaths involving the herbal supplement kratom have caused 91 deaths in 20, 27 states. So that's pretty alarming. Then I read the article... And here's the thing. So third paragraph in, most who died had also taken heroin, fentanyl, and other drugs, but Kratom was the only substance detected in seven of the deaths. So, 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 so it, wasn't, it was the other substance. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you could come up with that headline when only seven of the people were just on Kratom. I mean, seven deaths is not alarming. In the very least, people die from like, multivitamins oh yeah absolutely so uh, like a overdose of vitamin c so i mean i would think if of these 91 deaths almost all of them heroin fentanyl and other drugs were found in the system that's why these people died we all know that heroin is a massive epidemic in the country and i mean it it kind of ties into what peter said on the podcast i i think it's these pharmaceutical companies that that don't want to see something that's an alternative to these drugs that are causing as you said, 22 suicides a day, uh, suicidal thoughts in, in people, not just veterans, anyone with post-traumatic stress issues. And, and I mean, they're trying, to, I think the government can't profit off Kratom right now. So they're trying to demonize this. And like I said, I've never tried Kratom. I have an open mind to hearing the, the good and the bad. But when you have a headline like this, that it's tied to 91 deaths, and then I read the actual article and, and, these people are on heroin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to me, most Kratom other stuff that the, the biggest value is honestly relax, you know, causing you to relax, sleep a little deeper. And in some cases, th- that deep sleep and will bring out some really wicked nightmares. So, you know, I wouldn't say 
don't try it or do try it. But I say if you do, and you have a deep, you know, really deep dream experience, you may want to not do that. Because one of the things about me, and I'm sure all the other guys who spent time on a rifle range or combat, uh, my my number one goal in life is just to experience peace. You know, and one thing I'll never be able to do is sit in a room, or just a black, quiet room, total silence, and experience peace. Because, you know, the tinnitus, the ringing ears, we've always got to have background noise and stuff. So I know that with you. Yeah. So, I, so I've, I've talked about it on the podcast before. She's never heard this story. But uh, I, I was... So we were at... I'm like, I'm sleeping oh, with yeah. Jim. This is going to sound funny. <laughs> no, we were, we were in Vegas Not for a shot like. show, and we were sleeping in the same room because the company had this uh, Airbnb. And, you know, it was oh. a bunch of guys all in this one house, so I'm sharing a room with Jim. I'm sleeping on the couch because, of course, I'm not going to tell Jim not to take the bed. <laughs> and, and I'm waking up. At, so we're on Vegas time, you know, three hours uh, yeah. a, a, ahead or behind. I'm so, you know, if, if, if it's 6 a.m. in New York, it's 3 a.m. in Vegas, basically. Right. So uh, he has to sleep with Fox News on at, like, just about full blast. And... It's 3 a.m. and I'm waking up to them on Fox and Friends being like, good morning. And, and, and I'm like, what time is it? It's 3 a.m. And at that point, I was like, I, I'm not going to be able to sleep like this. I ended up sleeping in a closet. It was a very, spe- oh, no. it was a very spacious closet. It was, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was like the size of the studio. But, uh, but I couldn't sleep with this TV on at all times. And that's apparently how Jim likes to sleep. Yeah, and then I wake up all the time and I'm work, you know, doing my bands and working out all the time, and which that part worked out well for yeah, me. That was fun. I mean, it was it was strenuous, but yeah, yeah. But I don't I don't really sleep sleep ever, you know, which is sad. Uh, I was recently offered by my neurologist uh, medical marijuana, but because of my job, I'm still governed by federal standards. So yeah, you know, they're trying to figure out if that's something I could do or not. But. You know what I've become a big advocate of? I've talked about it on the show a few times. Have you ever heard of the supplement ZMA? I've heard of it, yes. So all it is is it's zinc, magnesium, and uh, B6. And you take it before you go to sleep because I think it's the magnesium that causes you to feel drowsy um, so so you don't take it during the day. It's not a sleep supplement. That's all it is, is zinc, magnesium, B6. So it doesn't, like, put you right to sleep, but when you fall asleep, you are in an extremely deep state of sleep. I take it every night now, and... uh, I, I'll tell you this, I, I didn't have vivid dreams really until I started taking ZMA. That makes good sense. Yeah. You know, um, you know when you get in that deep REM sleep, and, and actually when you read the book, we talk a little bit about dreaming, I guess. Yeah. Uh, because, I've become such a like spokesperson for ZMA. I feel like the company yeah. is to put out their well, own line. I think the magnesium is also good for the heart and helps circulation a little bit. So it just... It helps a lot of things. Yeah. It helps workout recovery... Um, it's, it's also like a testosterone boosting supplement because of the zinc, you know, so it helps your workouts, all of that. I, I, I swear by it. And I'm not a big supplement guy. Well, I take them independently of each other, like separate capsules, but yeah, now I may just look for the ZMA because it's just one pill. Yeah. If you, if you look it up, so this guy, Victor Conti, um, created this, the, uh, formula for ZMA and, if you if you basically sell ZMA now, any company, they have to pay Victor Conti because he came up with the formula of a certain amount of zinc, a certain amount of magnesium and B6. I don't know why, but like in this particular formula, it, it works. And 
a lot of people say, oh, it's placebo and all that, but I can tell you straight up, I mean, I, I know from the dreams that it's doing something, so. Yeah, well, that's what I said. When you get in that deep sleep, and, and if you have the, like, when, when, when I tried, they tried to put me on some medication from the VA. I can't do it. I went home, I popped a couple of pills, boom. Uh, I had this guy get killed right next to me, and he's laying on the ground. I'm right next to him on the ground. And I woke up in this dream, and he's right there. And lo and behold, this dream suddenly had, had color, full of life, 3D, and the guy was staring me down and you know, after he had been killed. And I'm like, holy shit, I, I can't have these kind of dreams. You know, so I had to change that uh, and stop doing that altogether. Gotcha. I don't even want to sleep that deep, to be honest. <laughs> Afraid I won't wake up. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, it, it helps for me, I, I, but uh, I, I get where you're coming from. I also haven't experienced what you have. But pick up the book. Messages from Beyond. It's up on Amazon right now in Kindle and paperback. And then also Charlene's website, which I had under here. Yeah, Charlene, Charlene's website is Charlene DeSilva at com, and Charlene at CharleneDeSilva.com if yes. you want to email you, which is spelled C-H-A-R-L-E-N-E-D-A-S-I-L-V-A. I'll obviously um, and and write a review for the book. Jim is telling me for listeners, <laughs> write a review for the book. Pick it up, write a review. Um, so once again, the website trollingdesilva dot com. And what what were you saying? Uh, yeah. So um, uh, feel free to visit my website or feel free to email me um, if anyone, any of the listeners, have any questions, um, any further questions. I would love to answer. Or you no, know, feel free to reach out. There's quite a few listeners in the audience who are like veterans who want to write a book and they want to take that step. So you might be a good person for that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I love, I would love to hear, um, their stories, like, especially after working with Jim, it opened me to an entirely new world that, um, I find quite amazing, you know, um, of course, um, a lot of military vets, they deal with all sorts of traumatic and terrible things and um you know uh, i think a lot for a lot of military vets i mean even start writing you know some people will find it cathartic or some people find it as a coping you know a yeah. way to cope with certain things so yeah absolutely i would love to hear everyone's stories so i can i can tell you she's uh got a tremendous amount of uh patience and uh she's g- good to work with you know because uh, when you write from another person's perspective, it's not like I send her something over and she dresses it up, makes it look pretty for the book, and he says, Jim, this is what I like. And I look at it and I go, I like this, but I don't like that. That's not me. Okay, I'll redo it. I mean, she takes the time to really put herself into your shoes. Awesome. So, yes, yeah, send her an email, charlene at charlenedesilva.com or charlenedesilva.com. I'll link to that in the description. Um, and I, I think that covers just about everything. Pick it up. Messages from beyond. Always great having you, man. I, I always love seeing you, and I don't see you enough. That's true. We need to hang out more. Yeah, we will. <laughs> we will. All right. Well, thanks to the listeners. We'll be back with another episode on Friday. And uh, just me hosting this week. Jack will be back. But I'm, I'm not being lazy. I'm not just making best ups this week. I'm getting it done. So. If you want me back to talk about fights or something, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know, Jim. Yeah. Hey. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter 
at Soft Rep Radio.